0: You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe a difficult place, or perhaps even in a very lonely place, you've come to the right place. Pastor Richard will challenge and encourage you today with a Christmas season message of God's greatest gift, Emmanuel, the hope of the world, as we share the 25 talks of Christmas all this month on Richard Ellis Talks. Now, a reminder that you can always listen to, download, and even share this or any talk with a friend right from the Advent calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. So, let's jump right in with today's talk.
1: Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Ebenezer Scrooge. I'd like you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And there's a story here, and I'm not going to read all four or five chapters of this, What's so fascinating to me is that the Bible is so timeless, that no matter how far we get from the things that happened, it's, just, it's the same old world with the same old people. We do the same old stupid things, and the same answers apply no matter what point in history you are. Just a little background here. We're going to end up in 1 Samuel 7, but let me start in chapter 4, and let's start in verse 1. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped at Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Now this is a good thing to ask yourself. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? So the question is not, why have the Philistines defeated us Is it why has the Lord defeated us? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So they thought if we go get the Ark, and they had it back in that day, if we bring the Ark and we have it here on the battlefield, there's no way we can be defeated because we have God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant with us. So the people sent for it, it shows up, verse 5, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, so the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp, and they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. So you think, well, this is great, the ark's here, the enemy's terrified, no problem, hands down, we got God, we're going to win. Now let me just interject this as we go through the story. We don't have some box with some relics in it that symbolize the presence of God. If you are a Christian, it in the box, you are the box. The God of the universe has taken up residence in me. So it's not about sending off for God and praying, oh God, come and help me. One of the things I love, it's kind of weird that we pray this, we ever started this, you know, and God be with us today. You know what? You're stuck. Don't be wasting your time saying, oh, God, be with us. If you're a Christian, he is with you, whether you like it or not. It's a matter of what kind of relationship you're going to have with him that day. So we've got, if you're a Christian, you've got the presence of God, not just around you, but within you. You say, well, isn't that enough? Well, I'll show you why it may not be. The Philistines are terrified. The ark is in the camp. Verse 8, woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines. These are the commanders here trying to pump them up to go get killed. That you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. And at this point... The Philistines are ruling the people of God, the people of Israel, and the people of Israel are trying to turn this around, obviously, by a war. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. They had the Ark of the Covenant in the battle, and it says they were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And by the way, Hophni and Phinehas were a piece of work. These guys were not anything to write home about in terms of priests. They've got the ark, they go into battle, 30,000 foot soldiers die, and on top of that, the ark is captured. Now the Philistines rule the Israelites and have their box. They've got the God box. Now, I don't have time to be reading all this, but they take this box... And in the next chapter, in chapter 5, they take it to their temple, their god Dagon, and they put the box in that room before Dagon. They come back the next day, and I believe if you read it, Dagon's on his nose. Now this is a massive stone statue. Nobody's going to knock it down. And it's like God himself comes in and says, you know what, Dagon's going to bow. If I'm going to be here, even the idols are going to bow. But they got the box. And they're going to end up being sorry because having the box brought all kind of problems. Everybody breaks out in what the King James Version calls tumors, but basically these guys get hemorrhoids, and it is so bad they want the box out of there. Get God out of here. We don't want him on our side. This is some kind of plot. The Israelites went into battle with this knowing we'd captured it, and now it's worse, having the God box here is worse than having them fighting us. Do something, How do we get rid of it? So then in chapter six, first Samuel chapter six, they figure out, they make these little and this is such a weird story, if you go read it they make, in verse four, they make five golden tumors and you know just don't think about it too much, but they make gold hemorrhoids and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of Philistines. And they get this wagon, you know, these oxen, they send the box back. And let's see where we're going to pick up here. So it goes back towards Israel, verse 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 6. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the fields of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Then verse 19. Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. So the ark of God comes back. The presence of God is back with his people, but these people didn't reverence God. And so they say, well, let's peek in the box and look at the next phrase. He struck God, struck 50,070 men of the people and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. Now, I don't know how to put this other than this. Don't mess with a holy God. And see, we think, well, I'm a Christian. I'm on this side of the cross. It's about grace and let us sin the more that grace may abound. And the Bible says, Paul says, God forbid. But we say, well, God forbid, but it's okay with me. And we rock along, and we don't get caught. There seems to be no consequence directly associated with what we're doing. But I'm going to tell you something. Whether you drop dead or not, there is consequence. And people don't want to hear about it, and then the hammer drops, and then they go, wow, there is consequence. And I don't like the consequence. And then God says, okay, well, did we learn anything this go-around? Well, no, because I don't think it was that painful, and I like what I'm doing, so I'll just keep doing it. This is extremely expensive. 50000 and it doesn't say about 50000 It says 50070 There's a number. These people messed with God and paid the price. They've got this ark back, and then look at verse 20. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, and this is a great question, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? In other words, we don't even want this box in our town. It's cost us 50,070 people. Get it out of here. So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirish saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. Okay, now chapter 7, and this is where we're headed. Then the men of Kirith-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirith-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So for 20 years, and you think, well, how long is it going to take? They've been defeated because they didn't reverence God. The ark is captured. Now they get it back. They're lamenting. But they burn up 20 years. How do you burn up 20 years? By not repenting. By not changing your mind, by not deciding to do what God wants you to do. And I've had this conversation with so many people, and I need to have it with myself because God comes along with me, comes along with you, and he says, okay, here's the deal. If you'll just trust me, if you'll obey me, if you'll follow me, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, we can stop burning up sand, dropping from the top to the bottom just for nothing. And we say, okay, okay. And then we go back doing whatever we were doing and then we wake up 20 years later all desperate and oh God help me and want to make changes and you go well what happened to the 20 years? How much time are you going to burn up? How much time you got? I don't know. I may not have another 20 years. What are you doing right now that is going to cost you 10, 20, 15 maybe the rest of your life just because you're bullheaded and we won't give it up. And God has said If you'll stop this, something will change. Well, 20 years goes by, and then look at verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, and here's another one of these ifs. If you return to the Lord with all your heart, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. You say, well, I don't have any Philistines coming after you. Let me tell you something. You got an enemy. I got one trying to kick my butt every day of my life. Now, what is it going to take for me to be delivered from this? I cannot fix anybody else. I can't change my dad. I can't change you. I can't, you know, I can't change my wife. She can't change me. But you know what I got some control over? Me. And I say, God, I'm tired of this crap in my life. I want to be delivered from my enemy or from my enemies or this stuff that's coming against me. And he says, you know what? Then do something about what you can do something about and have a conversation with me and do what I'm telling you to do and then see what I can do. You've got me present living in you. If you're a Christian, he's in you. But you know what? That is not stopping the devil from kicking your teeth in. Have you noticed that? How is it the devil has so much access to our lives when we've got God living in us? Because God can be there, but he is not the Lord, the boss in control. Our holy living triggers his saying, you know what? Back off, buddy. There is no access for you here. This person has done what I said to do. You're not messing with them anymore. You're messing with me. You say, well, I can do it a little longer by myself. You know what? You can't. And it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So what's the recipe here? Samuel says to him, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, and how are you going to know you've done that? Then you're going to put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and serve the Lord only. And that's where things turn in the Bible, when people make decisions and say, okay, I'll give it up, I'll lay it down, I'll do what God says, and let's see what happens. And look what happens. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mishpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mishpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day, and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And you say, "Well, I'm still afraid and I'm trusting God and I've stopped sinning and repented and I've done anything, but I'm still afraid. We'll join the club. It's still scary. So they go out there. They're still afraid. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Now this stuff's hard to picture sometimes. It's not a full-grown lamb. It's a baby lamb. And the thing I love about the Christmas story is that it's a baby And it's all cute and wonderful. We love Christmas. Let me tell you something. There ain't no Christmas without Easter. And this little baby lamb, the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, came wherever there's deliverance, wherever there's the power of God, there is sacrifice. If you're going to stop sinning, there's going to be some sacrifice. If you're going to appropriate the power of God, you only have that power available to you because Jesus died. He doesn't just get born of a virgin. He lives a sinless life so that when he dies on that cross, it affects power in our lives if we choose to access it. So they're afraid. They say, pray for us. Samuel takes a suckling lamb, offers it a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And look at this phrase in verse 10. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering while he's doing it, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Beth-kar. They didn't even have to engage him. We get all worried, well, I'm going to have to go fight. You know what? In Ephesians, it says, put on the whole armor of God and stand if you just will trust him, if you'll just obey him, if we'll just do the deal, God can rain thunder, just thunder, and drive the enemy away from us. And you may never even see him or engage with them. And you say, well, I don't have physical enemies. You've got spiritual enemies. It's not flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. My dad's not my problem. It's not flesh and blood. The enemy is all over him trying to attack me. And what I've got to do is do what I can do and pray and intercede for my dad and make the sacrifices of my pride. Whatever I've got to do to reach out and whatever your situation is, I'm telling you there's going to be sacrifice. If you do the right thing, it's going to cost you somewhere, somehow. So God delivered him. And here's where we're headed today is verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Now, I could stand up here and tell you, you know what, I've been a Christian for so many years and I'm going to trust Jesus till the day I die. Who knows? There's plenty of people that don't. But every once in a while, like Samuel did, and the way they did it back then was take a big stone, set it up somewhere and say, we're calling this place Ebenezer. And what that means is thus far, a stone of help to this point, God has helped us and that's okay. I may be afraid of tomorrow. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what it's going to cost me. I don't know whether I'm going to trust him or not, but I'm putting a marker down and saying, God, I know you've taken care of me in the past, and I know what screwed up my life and my walk with you. I know the decision I've made right now, and somewhere along the way, I am going to acknowledge that so far, God has helped me. Now, can you say that? Could you say, you know what, so far, God is one that has helped me, and I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm not going to be an Ebenezer Scrooge and say, oh, no, no. I'm not going to give him any glory. This is all about me. I did this. Let me tell you something. You can't make thunder clap and run the enemy away. And there are things in my life that God is doing that I could not do, I cannot do, I can dream about stuff, but only God himself can fix it. A relationship with a kid, one of our own, a friend, a job situation, money stuff, you are sunk unless God comes through. And you say, well, I can't control all that. There is something you can control. And as you go back again and read this story, these people did what they could do. And it took them 20 years. And I'm highly recommending not spending another 20 years. The New Testament says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Repent. Do the right thing. You said, well, why don't you talk to us about encouraging things and tell us we're nice people and, you know, scratch our ears at least once a year. This is one of the most encouraging things I could ever tell you because you're burning the clock if you don't do what he's saying to do. I sat with a guy Friday night. I went by to hear a band play. Some of the guys in our church play, and there's one guy in the band who used to come here, and they said, well, what happened in that conversation you had with so-and-so? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, after that, man, he was out of there. You'll lose some people talking about this. But the ones you pick up, you keep for a really, really, really long time usually. Because there are a lot of people out there wanting the wide way, the wide gate, scratch my ears, tell me something nice, and I'm going to go live like hell like I've been doing my whole life. But every once in a while, somebody comes through, and they say, you know what, I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting this stuff by myself. And I'm a Christian, and I'm tired. I'm going to try God's way, and let's see what he can do. Now the beauty of all this is, even if it takes you another 20 years, he's not going to love you any more or any less than he does right now. It's just his life in you that you're burning up and your effectiveness. And it's pride, it's sin, it's just all this junk that we let stay instead of just yielding it, making him Lord, not just Savior, but making him Lord, giving him control and seeing what he can do with our lives. There's an old song The title is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and I want to read the poetry of it to you without singing it. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing Thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of Thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Let's pray. And our Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these stories, not just fairy tales, Lord, but real stories of real people who paid the ultimate price in disobedience and were delivered through obedience and trust and repentance and living holy lives. Father, I don't know what the future holds. We know where we've been. We know where we are. And if we really stopped and acknowledged what you've done in our lives, we could prop up some stones and say, thus far, the Lord has helped me. And just that statement, Lord, gives us some encouragement to know if he's brought me this far, then he can take me all the way. But Lord, sometimes it's hard to see past today, past tomorrow, and to trust you. And I pray that you would encourage us today, that you'd give us the strength to take it one day at a time. And as we stop and see your hand, your deliverance in our lives, the way you provide for us, the way you honor our obedience, I pray that that would encourage us to go one more day, Lord and put these markers along the path of our lives. And Father, for those of us who say we know you, and yet when we look in our own hearts and lives, there's a bunch of junk, anything but holy stuff, Lord. And yet you offer to take us back on a dime. And I pray that somebody today would say, God, I'm done. I may have come back and said this a thousand times before, but I can't stop coming back. I have nothing to go back to. There's no life without you. I repent. I want to live a holy life. I want to examine my heart, ask you to examine my heart. And show me how to trust you. Show me how to live and to hang on till the next marker gets laid. But to know today that so far the Lord has been my help. And I thank you for doing that. Give me the strength for one more day. We love you, Father. We thank you for loving us enough to send your Son. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for living in us and for the power that is available to us when we live holy lives and unleash the miraculous and unleash the supernatural and watch you take the enemy out before our very eyes or even where we can't see, but see the effects of him being defeated. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the willingness to follow you. And we pray it in Jesus' name.
0: Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We hope you're encouraged by Pastor Richard's unique way of challenging us to become more like Jesus, especially during this holiday season. You know, that's the goal of this program, and the goal of Richard himself, to be God's hands, feet, and voice, to help us grow in our faith journey, and to become a reflection of Jesus to our neighbors, our community, and the world. You know, when you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So we'd love to hear from you, whether you've been on this faith road for a while or just getting started. The website is richardellistalks.com. There's a prayer wall to click on so you can share how we can come alongside you this holiday season. Also, during the 25 talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the Daily Talks Advent Calendar to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there at richardellistalks.com. And finally, a quick reminder that you can automatically receive a direct text on your phone each and every morning that will link you to the most recent Christmas talk on the website. Simply text the word Richard to 855-6-RICHARD. That's the word Richard to our toll-free number 855-6-RICHARD. So until the next of our 25 talks of Christmas, we love you. We're praying for you, and we thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.